from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We gotta have a and we gotta do it for each other. This is The Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 20th. Jam-packed hour. Welcome back, Bruce. Bruce Irvin speaking with media yesterday. Always good to hear from Bruce. What do you have to say on the return to Seattle? Why no place has equaled Seattle in his career also. Just this defense and how they can prove, especially on the pass rush. We'll hear from Bruce, plus Pete Carroll also with some interesting thoughts on the latest Flying Coach podcast why he's occasionally a victim of his own eternal optimism and how that translates to player development. We'll hear from Pete. NFL owners approving new measures yesterday aimed at improving diversity in coach and front office office hiring, but tabled, at least for this point, uh, the resolution that would have rewarded minority hiring with draft pick compensation. We'll dig into all that, plus the Sounders returning to training Monday. That's good news. Positive steps towards an MLS return and sports locally returning. All ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Hill hits his back foot, throws in the middle. Ball is caught. Ball is picked off. It's Irvin coming the other way. Bruce Irvin, he's going. He's down to the 20, the 15, 10, 5. He is in. Bruce Irvin, touchdown, Seahawks. Welcome back, Bruce. He got to speak with media yesterday on, first of all, how it feels to be back in Seattle in a single word. In one word, I would say refreshing. Very refreshing. Um, knowing that I'm going to a situation uh, that I know that they they run it very professional. Um, they take care of their players. Uh, you're going to always work. Uh, you're always going to compete and you're always going to be competitive in every game you step in. So, you know, for me at this stage of my career is, uh, you know, going to the best situation. Um, and I felt like going back home, you know, or Seattle, I consider it home, um, my football home at least. Uh, you know, that was the best thing I could, that could happen to me, especially in year nine. You know, I couldn't ask for a better situation. <laughs> Danny, following up with the question on how it makes him feel to be in year nine and Bruce saying, um, old, old. Also asked on Getting drafted with Bobby and Russ and what it feels to be coming full circle with them this season. Yeah, man, it's just refreshing. Uh, you know, all three of us have had, I would consider, successful careers. Uh, uh, on the field, we, we've produced. And off the field, I think all three of us are pretty financially stable. So, uh, you know, what more can you ask for? Uh, you know, it's, you know, both, all three of us have sustained really a lot of bad injuries. So that's also a blessing. Um you know, so I just think uh, I just going to cherish this year, man, and um, do what I got to do to see if I can get a few more years with him. And, uh, you know, that'll work itself out. But, you know, as of now, I just want to, you know, do what I got to do. And when I get back, make sure I'm ready to take care of business. Bruce, even saying that he was texting some players last year, guys like Bobby, about how he wished he was on the plane with them, that he can't complain about anywhere he's been in his career, but no place has quite equaled up to Seattle. I, 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 Seattle was the primary place when we played them. <laughs> After we played, uh, was it week 14 or something? 
I was like, damn, man, I wish I was with those guys. Uh, after after the Philly game, actually, I sent Bobby a text message while they was on the plane. I was like, damn, I wish I was on that plane with y'all. You know, I, I, I just wanted to come back, man. I've never, you know, like I said, I can't complain about anywhere I've been. But, you know, nothing has been like Seattle from, from how they travel to – to how we practice, how they take care of the older players, from the cafeteria, from fertility being on the lake, from it's just everything, man. It's just it's just it's just great A. And uh, you know, it's just they run it right up there, man. I'm just happy to be back. Definitely happy to be back in Seattle. Where does he see himself playing? Bruce Irvin says he thinks he'll line up pretty much where he has before. Uh, pretty much the same. Um, you know, first to second down, Sam and third down, um, defensive end so it's pretty much the same Bruce having some pretty great numbers last year and credits of that a lot to having uh career numbers more nickel than base defense being played in Carolina last year uh, I think they used me a um, little more uh at the end uh, we was in nickel a little more uh you know uh a lot of times we was already down 21-0 in the, in, in the first quarter so uh, we did. We we, we kind of got out of the base stuff, but I just think uh, I just had a lot more opportunities. Uh, we was at nickel a lot more, so that gave me opportunities to rush the passer more. And, uh, you know, I was I thought I was really productive, being that I missed the first three games, um, and still came back and put up solid numbers. So, uh, you know, it was just it was just me getting more opportunities because we was in nickel more than base. Bruce Irvin also on the pass rush here in Seattle saying that they've got a young, talented group and might surprise a few people with how productive they are. This group is a young group. You know, Benson's, um, he produced last year, but I don't think Benson has ever been in a major role, like a major starting role uh, as a premier rusher. But I have the complete uh, 100% faith that he can do that. But, uh, you know, I just think we got a young group uh, and we got to work, you know, I wouldn't. I couldn't predict how many sacks we're gonna get right now, but I think we got a young, talented group, and I'm gonna work my ass to lead these boys. And uh, you know, whoever comes in is 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 is, is uh, you know, just welcome open arms, and I just hope they be ready to work. But I think we got a talented group, man. I think we're gonna be. I think we're gonna be better than a lot of people think we are. Bruce also mentioning just rushing the passer in this league. It's hard. It's a grind. And uh, a lot of those young players coming in in a very unique situation, at least those in the draft, because now everything is virtual with uh, social distancing measures in place for the coronavirus pandemic. Bruce Irvin on virtual learning. It's a little bit different. Well, you know, this is an unusual um, time for us. Uh, you know, usually we'll be around those guys. And, you know, this will be our second week around the rookies right now. So, if we just try to talk to them, uh, you know, as much as we can, and let them know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, this still, this still is, is work. Uh, sometimes you got to make adjustments to situations, but uh, you got to make it do what it do. And uh, I think those guys, Brooks and uh, Taylor, and all those guys are doing a great job of really, really uh, taking advantage of this time and focusing on really diving into your playbook. You know, this is a time where you could really, really get into your playbook, and uh, you know, that's Really, everything's closed, and what else is there to do? Always good to hear from Bruce. Uh, that full video also available on Seahawks.com and their YouTube channel if you want to watch the full thing in its entirety. Pete Carroll has been doing a pretty cool podcast with Steve Kerr and also uh, part of it to raise money 
for coronavirus relief, which is neat. But the Flying Coach podcast as part of the Ringer series, limited series. And this past week, they had Michael Lewis, author of Moneyball and the Blind Side, on. And Pete Carroll was asked by Lewis uh, if occasionally his optimism or his uh, ability, belief that he can transform or develop players uh, sometimes gets in his way. When you all are getting new players, either through the draft or in free agency, how often, how, how much are you thinking, I can, I can change them? And how much are you thinking that they are who they are? Like, can you, do you think yeah. that you can, there's a kind of player you can say, ah, there's stuff there that hasn't been brought out and I can bring stuff out of it. I'm, I'm, I'm a real victim to that now. I'm such an optimist that I kind of think that, you know, I see something that really excites me about a guy and, and, uh, I want to, you know, I don't have to see like, him play great all the time. If I can see enough stuff, um, then, I, then I think I can tap into it. And I'm a little bit of a victim of that, you know, in recruiting and, and all that, because I am maybe too too optimistic about that. Basically, they pretty much are what they are, and then, then you develop them, you know, and you try to add too. But um, I kind of, I fall to that. Some of the players that have developed most after or in during his tenure, Pete Carroll was asked to as a follow-up, there's a couple of guys that come to mind. One was Doug Baldwin, the receiver that was had a, you know from Stanford that had a great a great career until it, you know he he called it off last you know, last year. Um, and, and there's another guy named KJ Wright. He's a linebacker from uh, um, down Mississippi, and he was he uh, he was an extraordinarily different athlete, real long and tall and big stride guy. And and uh, but man, he's had a great career for us. But not a, the most heralded player, you know, in our program. But a guy who really did some great stuff. And and uh, that you kind of I, I was really excited about him as a player. I mean, I've got all kinds of stories about those guys, but that's. that's a couple that come to mind. We'll hear more from Pete later in this hour on how he's fascinated by greatness and finding out how you can replicate greatness in particular. But just a quick uh, note, the Sounders returning to training Monday after they received approval last week from public health officials in regard to their their plan to train and stay safe uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic. So a step in the right direction, but several players taking part in indivi- individualized workouts, which were voluntary at Starfire Sports in Tukwila and uh, maintaining the health and safety protocols, uh, including having a practice field divided into a grid, using staggered se- uh, sessions, even some players opting to wear masks during drills, all as part of the precautions uh, initiated by Major League Soccer. But good news on that front and a step in the right direction for soccer returning here in Seattle. Up next on The Blitz, NFL owners approving new measures yesterday to improve diversity in coach and front office hiring, but stopped short of approving the resolution that we heard suggested and floated earlier this week that would have rewarded minority hiring with draft pick compensation. We'll hear from Roger Goodell on why that was. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lady Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, May 20th. Just a little bit, we'll hear from the King. Felix Hernandez joining Bob David Moore yesterday, which was pretty cool to chat about, well, it's Felix Week here at 710 ESPN Seattle, so every evening we are replaying a classic Felix Hernandez game to relive some of those moments, and he took some time out of his schedule to join Bob David Moore to chat about his favorite moments in Seattle. Uh, We'll hear from him in just about 
15 minutes. But first, NFL owners approved new measures yesterday that are aimed at improving diversity in coach and front office hiring. We heard earlier this week that owners were considering a proposal that would have improved teams' third-round draft picks by six or ten spots if they hired a minority candidate for a vacant GM or head coach opening, um, as well as other compensation for hiring minority candidates for such positions as quarterbacks coach. Um, We also heard that uh, if you had a minority head coach in place, that you also might be incentivized But on Tuesday's conference call taking place uh, for the league's annual in-person May owners meeting, of course, observing social distancing at this time, the resolution that was floated about directly incentivizing and involving draft pick compensation ended up being tabled. That means no vote was taken. The proposals could be considered at a later date, but tabling it usually means they do not have enough support to pass it at the time because NFL rules stipulate 24 of 32 teams have to vote to approve a resolution before it goes into effect. However, the owners did approve several new measures. They hope will improve what they acknowledge has become uh, an unacceptable record of minority hiring in positions of team leadership. Some of those include teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for any vacant head coaching job and at least one minority candidate from outside their organization for any vacant offensive defense or special teams coordinator job. Previously, the Rooney rule had required teams to interview only one minority candidate for head coach and none for coordinator. The NFL also changed its anti-tampering policy to relax the rules that have allowed teams to deny assistant coaches and executives the opportunity to interview for jobs with other organizations. And the Rooney Rule is expanded to apply to a number of executive positions. Teams in the league office are now required to interview minorities and or female applicants for positions such as team president and senior executives in communication, finance, human resources, legal, football operations, you name it, um, those types of positions. So Roger Goodell on a conference call yesterday talking about uh, these new measures. He said he thinks the Rooney Rule is still effective. And I, I just would add, I think the Rooney Rule is still effective. The the intent of that rule when we adopted it was to make sure we were considering a diverse slate of candidates um, for uh, coaching positions, and in fact, it's being expanded, and it's continuing to address not just coaching, but also executives, and uh, we're going to be adopting it or have adopted it in the league office for other levels of positions uh, in our office. So, And it is clear that the Rooney Rule has had an effect uh, nationwide and globally, where many industries have adopted it, and I think it has a huge impact. Currently in the NFL is four minority head coaches, two minority general managers, but Roger Goodell saying that they're not satisfied with where they are at. We're not satisfied where we are. We, we know we, we should and can do better. And that's why this package of you know seven initiatives is, uh, is very significant. Some are focused on uh, shorter term uh, benefits or results potentially. Uh, others are focused on midterm and long-term uh, changes that uh, we think will produce results. But we think that's the kind of approach. There's no single solution to to this. It's a, it's a matter of a number of initiatives that we think ultimately are going to lead to better results. Uh, a huge problem is the pool of candidates from which the head coaching jobs or these executive jobs dro- 
jobs are drawn. So one of these measures, too, is that each of the 32 NFL teams have to establish a minority coaching fellowship program. Uh, there'll be full-time positions along with these fellowships um, that are one or two years in length to provide, quote, NFL legends, minority and female participants with hands-on training in NFL coaching. The idea behind it is to establish a larger pool of qualified candidates in the pipeline from which head coaches are ultimately chosen and then promoted. Roger Goodell on them being focused on diversity and inclusion this offseason. I would say that the diversity and inclusion uh, represents something that I've been focused on for the last four or five months uh, intensely and in working with the Fritz Hauer Alliance and other outside groups and feel that the package of steps and initiatives that um, the ownership fully supported today all or contribute to uh, making progress in this area but I would say probably most importantly that our work is not done. Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who a lot of people are scratching their head of why he hasn't received an NFL head coaching offer despite interviewing for several positions positions in each of the past two years. And he spoke with reporters yesterday addressing the Rooney rule and the proposed changes uh, that were tabled concerning the draft pick incentivizing and with minority hires. He said, you always want to be judged on your own merit as a coach. Well, my overall reaction is, 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 is going to remain the same. It's I am blessed and fortunate to be placed in this opportunity and been given the situation. OK, one thing as a coach, you always want to be judged based upon your own merit. So at the end of the day, the best coach is going to be hired. He also, though, did uh, applaud the rule change that allows assistants to have an opportunity to interview for coordinator openings. Uh, well, I think it's there's, there are plenty of candidates that are more than qualified. I think one thing uh, that popped up was, you know, uh, some coaches now, assistant coaches are going to have an opportunity to interview. I think that's huge. I think that's huge across the board, regardless of skin color. It doesn't make a difference, you know. Now you get an opportunity to interview the best football coach for that particular position. I think one thing is that with all this discussion uh, being brought to the table, it just opened up different uh, doors for many different people. And like I said, when it's all said and done with, uh, my job is to make sure I'm focused on what we're doing. But yes, I am happy that that was passed so those guys can have an opportunity. I like the enemy. That's awesome. Glad they won the championship last year. Up next on the Blitz, uh, we hear from the King, the one, the only Felix Hernandez taking time to join Bob, Dave and more. What is his favorite memory in Seattle? Next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. And uh, I said, uh, I said, I'm proud of you, how you handled everything. And I said, you will always be the king in this town. And you will. You will. There will never be another like Felix here. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Wednesday, May 20th. Thanks for being here. One of my favorite quotes after Felix's final game here in Seattle, which was a pretty emotional night and really cool to be a part of. Thank you uh, to the Mariners for allowing us here at 710 to be a part of that and sit in a suite and be a part of history there. As someone who grew up in Seattle and uh, as a local, as a native, I know and a baseball lover at heart that Felix, what he meant to this community, what he meant to this team. So it was really cool to hear from the King yesterday. He was on with Bob, Dave and Moore 
chatting about Felix Week here on 710 ESPN Seattle and reliving some of the best Felix moments every night of the week. Uh, right here, some of those classic games and the guys asking Felix, even if you take the perfect game out of it, uh, what one of his favorite moments here in Seattle was. Hey, Felix, as I said, we've been playing your your greatest hits all week and, and people have been reliving all these great moments where you were on the hill. What what's Is there a one single moment that you would point to if somebody – you know, had never seen you pitch, and they said, what What game should I watch from your history? Which one should I watch? Which game now, would you point them to? Let me, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Which one you like better? Oh, my man, it's Felix Week, that's what I hear. But which one you like better? The oh, perfect come on, game. Man. It's, it's, yeah, the perfect game. I was there. I was at the game. I talked to you after the game, and it was unbelievable. That's, mean, that's number one for me. Let, let's take the perfect game out of that. Just give me another <laughs> game that you like better. Take the perfect game. Well, I don't like no perfect game. No perfect game. Oh, that's the best one. I, you know, the last game, the the emotion that was there, watching you step up onto onto the the you know the fence there, and you're taking pictures with the fans, and it was emotional, and it was a culmination of your whole career. That I know it's it's not the prime of your career, and it wasn't a playoff or anything, but just seeing the outpouring of love from the fans and everything, that that to me was magic. Man, that was amazing. That was amazing. That's what I call Seattle home, man. That was amazing. Oh, the love, the support of the fans give it to me. It was amazing. But I'm going to give Jim. you my best. I'm going to give you my best. I got few. Okay. I'm going to give you my best. 2007. I'll tell you. Opening day. 2007, opening day in Seattle. That's one of them. That was my first opening day as a starter. That was the first one. My mom was the first time my mom was in, my mom was in the stand watching me playing professional for the first time in my career. And that was when I threw eight innings. Uh, strikeout 12, I think. And we won that game for nothing in days. That's one of them. That's one of them. I take the against Toronto when I when I was coming out from the mound that I said this is my house. That's that's another one because you know all the fans of the Blue Jays. I mean the whole stadium of Seattle was blue when the Blue Jays come to Seattle. Oh, uh, so Felix, that was so much fun. I I can still picture you coming off the mound shouting at all those Blue Jay fans. That was fantastic. Oh, yeah, and, uh, man. It's I'm just... my house. It's my house. You're not coming to my house like that. Nope. No. My house. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm, I'm looking at the picture of you right now, and uh, you broke into the big leagues August 4th, 2005 with the Mariners at the age of 19. And, Felix, you're sitting, so you're 34 now. And I was really encouraged when I saw your numbers down there in spring training with the Braves. You had an under two ERA, and it's in spring training. Uh, have, what kind of adjustments uh, are you trying to make with your new team? I mean, I still got it. I mean, <laughs> uh, <I> just... <laughs> Sorry, guys. I mean, I'm really, really confident. <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I just try to, you know, do little things. But I was, I was in really good shape going through spring training. I was healthy. I'm healthy. But the last few years we said I wasn't healthy at all. And I was healthy and I was trying to compete for a job. So I went there with different, you know, different mentality. And, you know, if you look at my spring training number, I think the only one that is stand out is 2005 and this one in 2020. Because other than that, I know how to spot the rotation, but I don't care about things. I just want to get ready. But on this one, I just fight it for spot. So I just went there to just do my thing. The great Felix Hernandez is our guest here for a few more moments with Bob, Dave, and more on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Felix, have you have you put an end date on your career? Do you feel like, man, I could pitch till I'm 38, 40, or do you want to just go one year at a time? How do you view the end of the career? Uh, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not thinking about that yet because I think uh, that I still got more to do in uh, the game of baseball, and I know I can pitch. I got a lot of weapons to just go out there and get people out. But actually, I don't know. I'm gonna go year by year because my goal is to get to 200 wins and to get to uh, 3,000 strikeouts. So if we get to that goal, I can hang my spikes. I'm done. Hey, Felix, one of the things that always stood out uh, about you to me was uh, how you really shined in some big moments. Uh, it seemed like whenever you went to New York and faced the Yankees uh, that you had a, a, a big game in you that night. Was that something that you really thrived on? <laughs> Actually, it's New York and Boston. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. I remember the old Yankee Stadium was the best, man. It was the best. I mean, just trying to go out there, you know. I mean, you know, you're in the East Coast. You're facing, you know, a team with a lot of history. And actually, I just try to go out there and shy and just be Felix. Be Felix. It was cool to hear from the King yesterday. That full interview is available for you at 710sports.com. Also, we've heard from Pete Carroll a little bit in this hour. Flying Coach Podcast has been on my subscribe list to hear from him and Steve Kerr, two of the best in the game in their respective sports. They had Michael Lewis on this week. Most of us have read some Michael Lewis book at uh, at some point, whether it was Moneyball, whether it was The Blind Side. Pete Carroll, though, um, talking with Michael and was asked uh, about the ability to analyze and develop players. And Pete mentioning part of this podcast I want to play for you is how he is obsessed or wants to find out how certain athletes replicate greatness. It isn't about the physical part of it. it to, to me, it's it's uh, the part that I'm so f- always fascinated and have been for a long time on this is the mentality that it takes to replicate the, that which it takes to make the next hoop. You know, you everybody can go hit some bunch of swishes. You can shoot swishes, but how do you just keep doing it play after play, shot after shot? Where, where is that science? Where is that science that uh, that you can, like I think you said a couple weeks ago, and we understood it about Steph, he could play basketball, he could play golf, he could hit a baseball, he could probably throw the, you know, he can, you said he throws a football. Where does the skill makeup come that you can develop and nurture and, and, and really – really maybe even create that allows you to replicate, you know, like the, the, to keep doing the same thing. Like there's some guy who you guys know, the guy that, that uh, shot like 1300 straight free throws, some, some 50 year old guy, you know, how does a guy get to that part where he can recreate so consistently that makes him that special? There's that to me is where the real, the real science could be really exciting. And and it, it, to me, it goes back to mental game stuff. And of course, that a, a big part of Pete Carroll's uh, philosophy, too, is the mental side of things and believing that you can t- be the best possible player. We'll hear more from Pete from that podcast up next on the Blitz in the hot list. Also news on the Sounders returning to training yesterday and hearing a little bit from Bruce Irvin in his introductory press conference reintroduction, excuse me, but uh, hearing from Bruce on how he believes the defense will do this year and the virtual offseason. It's ahead in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You 
you're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Seattle Sounders return to training on Monday. This is good news after they've received approval from public health officials in regard to their plan to train while staying safe amid the coronavirus pandemic. So several players taking part in voluntary workouts at Starfire Sports in Tukwila. The practice field divided into a grid to ensure social distancing measures and safety protocols. Some players opting to wear masks during drills and uh, safety precautions part of the protocols initiated actually by Major League Soccer. The league also restricted access to indoor facilities unless needed for medical treatment and required use of PPE by training staff. Sounders coach Brian Schmetzer told reporters uh, earlier this week that the club is using this week's sessions to gauge fitness levels because MLS is spending its season back on March 12th to help combat and slow the spread, flatten the curve in relation to the coronavirus. So March 11th, the last time that the uh, Sounders worked out together and uh, fitness levels might be a little off since then. We'll see. But uh, good news to see them back out on the practice field and see photos of them out there. For cor- former Chicago Bulls forward Horace Grant, he has been featured uh, on the Last Dance episodes. And now firing back at claims that Michael Jordan made about him during the Last Dance documentary series on ESPN. He did a little bit in the series um, when Jordan believed that Horace Grant was the leak in Sam Smith's famous, infamous, the Jordan Rules book, believing that uh, Horace Grant was the one leaking information about team, uh, what's going on behind the scenes to Sam Smith. And Horace Grant adamant that he was not that source. But in a radio interview with Cap and Co. on ESPN 1000 in Chicago yesterday, Grant uh, saying, going so far as to say it's a downright, complete lie. Right, outright, completely lie. Lie, lie, lie. And as I stated, if MJ had a grudge with me, let's tell it like, man, let's talk about it, or we can settle, settle it another way. But yet and still, he goes out and put this lie out that I was the source behind. Sam and I have always been great friends. We're still great friends. But the sanctity of that locker room, I would never put anything personal out there. Horace Grant also uh, saying, <laughs> making some accusations about uh, Michael, if saying that if you want to talk about snitching. He called, he said, I was a snitch. But yet and still, after 30 or 35 years, he brings up his rookie year going into uh, one of his teammates' room, his former teammates' room, and saying coke and weed and women. My point is, why, why in the hell did he want to bring that up? What, what's that got to do with anything? I mean, if, if you want to call somebody a snitch, that's a damn snitch right there. Horace Grant also, just with some accusations about the last chance in last dance in general, also in that interview. I would say, you know, um, entertaining, but, you know, we know who, who was there um, as teammates that you know, about 90% of it was, uh, I don't know if I can say it on air, but BS. Right. Um, uh, in terms of um, the, the realness of it. Um, um, you know, 
as I stated uh, the other day, um, that it was it wasn't real uh, because uh, a lot of things that he said to uh, some of his teammates that um, his teammates went back at him, but all of that was kind of edited out of um, the documentary, if you want to call it a documentary. Horace Grant uh, coming with the heat on uh, Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. Aaron Rodgers, we are all wondering how he might feel about the Jordan Love pick. And he spoke this week that, yes, indeed, he was surprised that they decided to take a quarterback in the first round. General reaction at first was was surprised. And like many people, you know, obviously not going to say that I was, you know, thrilled by by the pick necessarily, but I, I understand the organization is, is thinking not only about the present, but about the future. And I respect that. You know, I understand uh, understand that their focus and their mindset, and obviously they thought that uh, he was such a great talent that they needed to go up and get him. Like I said, generally surprised, but it's what those guys are paid to do, to put together a roster for now and, and for the future as well. Aaron Rodgers also saying he's unsure if he retires as a Green Bay Packer. My sincere desire to start and finish with the same organization, just as it has with many other players uh, over the years, you know, may not be a reality at this point. And as much as I understand the organization's future outlook and wanting to make sure they're thinking about the team now and down the line, and I respect that, you know, at the same time, I still believe in myself and, and, and I have a strong desire to play into my 40s. And I'm just not sure how that all works together at this point. Aaron Rodgers on the potential of playing elsewhere. If I were to retire on the organization's timetable, then it's an easy decision. But there comes a time where I still feel like I can play at a high level and my body feels great. You know, then there's, you know, other guys that have gone on and played elsewhere. This week, too, a lot uh, in discussion between Major League Baseball and the Players Association and Tim Kirkjian joining uh, Sports Center yesterday to talk about how at this point, there's uh, the story changes day to day and nobody seems to be on the same page. This is the problem. I believe everyone and I don't believe anyone. That's the problem. It doesn't matter who you speak to. He has a different thought on things than the next person that you're going to think to talk to. The only thing is we have to have complete collaboration between the union and the owners in order to get this done. And right now, they're simply not on the same page. And that gives me pause. And yet another guy texted me to say, I think we're going to play 60 games. We're going to start on August the 1st. We're going to play extended playoffs. That's how it's going to go. And he was certain of that. I'm not certain of anything. Tim Kirchin saying that he's talked to players, front office execs, former players that are now coaches that have varying opinions on like the season is absolutely going going to happen and there's no way this season happens and that the story changes from day to day so still some disconnect between those two parties and with the current proposal the health and safety protocol 67 pages uh, worth that we heard earlier this week but also the huge sticking point of the financials um, where players and owners land on that. As for the NFL, uh, Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter, joining Golik and Wingbo, I believe, this morning, talking about the NFL needing to make players confident in their safety and healthy protocols. We need to watch very carefully as the season moves closer about how the NFL provides NFLPA with enough information to make them feel confident, not just the NFLPA, but the entire body of players, that they're going to go onto that field and feel like they can play, not just in a safe environment, but one where they're not putting their lives necessarily at risk 
Jeff Darlington also on the potential liability of players testing positive for COVID-19. You know, speaking of one league executive, I was talking to him about it. He, he, he was pointing out to me that this is something that's going to be on the horizon that we need to really consider is the potential liability uh, of putting any employee into an environment where um, where they could they could you know get coronavirus and like and not and I, I realize that people are politicizing this to the point where you're saying oh roll your eyes like deal with it but this is a a litigation happy society at this point so if someone catches that in the work environment and all of a sudden it's an unsafe work environment that becomes a potential massive problem for the company. Um, also, J.C. Trotter, Brown Center and NFLPA president, talking yesterday, too, and saying it will always be a tough task to make a safe environment for NFL play. This is a contact disease, and we play a contact sport. Uh, the way this thing passes along is through contact, and that's what we do for a living. And the way we interact with each other at the facility, at practice, weightlifting, at the, at the meal room, it is a shoulder to shoulder, standing by each other, passing things around. Um, so there is a long list of, of ideas we need to come up with on how to make this environment safe for us. Uh, and that's why it's, it's going to be a, um, you know, a, a lot of thinking involved in that. And that's why we have, we have conversations and calls and you know, we're looking at that every day. But, but that's kind of the issue we're facing is this is a contact disease and we play a contact sport. JC, though, saying that the NFL has an advantage of time over some other sports. And we have the, I guess what you would call an advantage of we still have time before our season is is projected to start. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the other leagues are trying to figure this out right now and, and trying to piece it together. And, and we still have time. So uh, I wouldn't say we're uh, we're at the point where we need to, to make an agreement. And we're going to keep sitting back and making sure we're making the right decisions for our players. Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, uh, was asked yesterday, "Are there is there any chance for NFL minicamps? You know, we're not putting dates on the calendar at this point because I'm looking at not as, as uh, date-based, but really science and, and, and technology-based. So we feel that there are certain important steps that need to occur uh, with regard to testing, with regard to test availability, with regard to test reliability, and also our continued evolution of understanding about how to manage exposures. And so all of those things are continuing to evolve. And when we and the Players Association together feel like that, that we're at a point of, uh, of satisfaction with that science, then we'll be ready to move forward. So it's difficult to give you a date for that right now, but we're moving in that direction. We heard it from Jeff Darlington just a minute ago, but the potential liability of players testing positive for COVID-19, Dr. Alan Sells, on the potential of positive tests. You asked about a treatment of a positive case. We have a, a task force, again, working very diligently on that. Uh, we fully well expect that we will have positive cases that arise because we think that this disease will remain endemic in society. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that new positive cases arise. The challenge is to identify them as quickly as possible and to prevent spread to, to any other participants. So we're working very diligently on that, and we'll, we'll have some detailed plans to share about that um, at a later time. Testing is a huge part of making any sport uh, safe to play, being able to test players. Uh, and that also means that there are plenty of tests that don't take away from the public, from people who need them. And Dr. Alan Sills, NFL chief medical officer, saying the NFL won't affect the supply of tests for the public. We want to make sure that we're in no way affecting the supply of tests that are needed by the healthcare system in any of our markets or around the country at large. So 
Uh, that's a, a strong commitment from all of us. And so as we work together with the Players Association around this plan, we'll follow the science and come up with what we think offers the, the best combination of information and, and lowest risk to, to players and staff and other in that environment. But we have to do so thoughtfully in conjunction with the public health system uh, and, and, and with the communities there in which our clubs are located. Welcome back, Bruce. It was great to hear from Bruce Irvin yesterday. Familiar face here in Seattle. Reunited, though, now, and it feels so good. Uh, in one word, Bruce Irvin says it feels refreshing to be back in Seattle and admitted he was even texting uh, guys like Bobby last year, uh, wishing he was on the plane with them uh, after certain games. So pretty cool to hear from Bruce on that. But I also loved this, uh, saying that he's a better player now than when he was here before. Uh, as far as my game, um, I think I'm more of a polished player now than I was in Seattle. I think I'm a better player now than I was my first four years in Seattle. Uh, the game is slower. Uh, I know how to set up certain moves. Uh, I know how to steady film now. So it's just a lot of things, man. Uh, I know how to take care of my body better. Uh, it's just you know that the things that come with maturity and with age uh, and with being around the right group of people, you know, that taught me from the beginning, you know, the Red Bryans and the Brandon Evans and Chris Clemens, you know, the old Michael Bennett, you know, those guys showed me when I was a young, when I was younger, you know, how to, how to be a pro on and off the field. So uh, it's just crazy that I'm in their position now. You know, I, I got to show younger guys how to, you know, you know, take care of their bodies and steady and stuff like that. It's just, this is crazy, man, but nonetheless, I'm just happy to be in the situation, bro. It's cool to hear that. Bruce, looking forward to helping out some of the youngsters, helping out some of the rookies. Um, yeah, awesome to have Bruce back. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way in mere seconds right here on 710. Let's just go out with a Bruce Irvin pick six. Hill hits his back foot, throws in the middle, ball is caught, ball is picked off! It's Irvin coming the other way, Bruce Irvin, he's going! He's down to the 20, the 15, 10, 5, he is in! Bruce Irvin, touchdown, Seahawks!